I get why people look at you going like, is there something wrong with you? Like, you know, my first time I went to Afghanistan was 2008, 2009. One of the worst, if not the worst tours the Marines ever did. I was in Sangin, DC, which was just the heart of darkness. IEDs everywhere. Friends died, people got injured, and it was really difficult, but it was also one of the best things I've ever done. Like, I'll never get a bond again like uh, I did with those those fellas. And, you know, it was, I'll miss that probably till the day I die, is having all those friends around you. You do a thing called decompression when you come back from Afghanistan where you went through Cyprus and you spent three days in Cyprus. You had loads to drink, did a load of activities, and then that's the end. At the end of it, they go, right, that's you. You're all fit to go back to civilian life. And nothing prepares you for making that transition from being in a war zone to a week later being at home. I think because in the Marines, you've got this terrible association with cold water being punishment. You know, you, you never get into cold water unless you're being punished for something. So for 15 years of my life, I associated with cold water with being punished. I've taken that away from the military going, actually, do you know what? Being in the cold water isn't always a punishment. I need to stop associating the two together because it was awful. Have I got it wrong? Is I can't, Im- I can't imagine... I mean, I guess there's punishment, but I hadn't thought about it as you continually being punished for stuff. Is that is that oh, how it goes? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, I think especially as a recruit or if you're junior in service, you get punished a lot more for things now. Obviously, having been a corporal for as many years as I was, having been in the corps that many years and being around that much, I wasn't above punishment, but I kind of... I wouldn't have been punished the way other people may have been because it was like, I've been around long enough to know. Someone says to me, get in that water for no apparent reason. I'm turning around and going, no, I'm not doing that. Don't be, don't be sorry. You know what I mean? There's other ways of doing this. But as a recruit, you're always punished and it's always getting the cold water. Fully dressed, getting the cold water. It doesn't matter if it's night, day, you name it, in the cold water. And it was the fact that you were getting wet, it was cold having to do all the admin of getting changed, having it washed, having it ready all for the next day and the next inspection. And if you're getting that done two or, two or three times a day, after eight months of that, you're just like, I hate the cold water. <laughs> I hate cold water. Well, no wonder. No wonder, really, if it's taking you back to like like being punished as a grown-up. But it was like, I, I distinctly remember, it was early February 2006, I think it would have been. And uh, I remember being on the beach it was between midnight and two o'clock in the morning and we were just getting absolutely physically hammered on this cold beach into the water doing press-ups sit-ups gig and stuff out rolling around the sand then doing sprints it was two hours of that in the middle of winter at night time and it was like it was horrific horrific like i don't think it happens as much now because i think back in those days you were allowed to get away with more you, you could now like I, Whenever I was taking recruits through, I never had them doing something like that at two o'clock in the morning because it's suboptimum for what you're wanting them to do the next day. You no, know, they're going to be tired, exhausted, hungry. And then the next day, I'm going to say, right, I need you to do a full day's physical hard work at your best ability. But I just kept you awake half the night, getting freezing and cold. And so, you know, it's, it's, if you're going to do something like that, it's about placing when it's done, you know. So, Wait till the very end, the last night when you know you're all going back tomorrow or whatever. You know, if you do it every single night, eventually after a few days, they're going to be fit for nothing. So when you're actually wanting them to learn things or perform at a certain standard, they can't because you spent the whole the whole night 
previously thrashed him and stuff. So, yeah, I think it was like whenever I was a recruit, it was you had all the information punished in there. Whereas now they've realised that that's not the best way people learn, you know, because we would have spent a whole, if you were getting lectured on something, we'd have spent a whole lecture just waiting to be punished. You're sitting waiting, when am I going to get punished for something? So you weren't actually taking anything you were told. Oh, so you so you think they were they were sort of going to punish you? They, they, was, they would always find a way. Really? Information was punished in me. It was like, if you don't know <laughs> something, it was. It sounds ridiculous, but it's like, if you don't know something, the best way to make you learn is to punish you for not knowing it. And looking back on it now, you think, that's ludicrous. But that's the way it was. Whereas I know now people are coached a lot more and it's I know especially with myself whenever I had the recruits through I would wait and sort of have all the punishments collected up in one big punishment at the very end once I've done all their learning alright you now owe me this and I'll punish them then but they've learned all they need to know they're not sitting in a total state of oh, I'm going to get punished any minute now for something you know and that's the way it was then did it work for some people some people that's the only way they learned um, me I, I hated it Hated being punished, like especially collective group punishments when you've got the same people always making mistakes and you're going, why am I always trying my hardest to get this done? I'm never getting caught doing something wrong, but I'm always getting punished. And you start to go, well, why do I bother? So I think in that sense, I know the course come along a long way. From when I was a recruit to when I was taking recruits through, the way things are all done is done very differently. And the recruits are all leaving training far more knowledgeable than I ever was far more knowledgeable. There's some people argue, oh, they're softer and all, but I wouldn't I wouldn't have said that. Like, I wouldn't have said that. I think maybe some of the stuff that we were put through, and obviously people before us were put through worse, I would say, um, probably wasn't necessary and didn't really achieve much. But like I said, the recruits are coming out now more knowledgeable and more skillful than I ever was whenever I passed out, which is a good thing. And when- they don't have a phobia of water. <laughs> yeah. And generally being punished. What what age what age were you when you joined the Royal Marines? I was twenty two. So not I was, so, I was slightly older. Yeah, yeah, because some of you so you didn't go in as a kid. And no. what age you now? Forty. Just turned forty there a few weeks ago. Just turned forty. Okay. And you were so okay, so so you starting in sort of um early two thousands? Yeah. Two thousand and five. Two thousand and five. Okay. And what so you started a little bit late. Had you wanted to be in the military as a little kid or? Yes. Or for some reason, I think it ran in my family. So I remember my father, he was in the reserves, the army reserves, but he was also in the RUC. Um, obviously at a time when or ever being in the RUC over here was almost like being in the military anyway. Um, I had grandparents and uncles who'd always done time in the military or the police. Um, I remember being given a Green Beret uh, from a guy in the SBS who was a friend of my father's. He gave me that. I remember being really young. He gave me that. Um, and I always remember, always, always, always wanting to be in the military and always the Marines because it was kind of, I was told, you know, that was, the, that was the way to go. You know, the Marines are the best and all this. You get told these things and you're like, oh, okay, I believe that. And, in my mind, that's where I wanted to go. At the age of 16 or 17, got the paperwork and then for whatever reason just didn't continue on with the process. Glad that I didn't because I think it's between 16 and 16, 17, 18, 
and some 19-year-olds still aren't old enough for the Marines, I don't think. I think it should be a minimum of 18 because it's physically really, it is physically demanding. Um, I don't think they're mature enough mentally. Um, they're not all of them, but I would say the vast majority of 16, 17-year-olds that I saw going through training um, weren't ready and they weren't successful. Now, the ones that are ready are normally much more mature for their age, both physically and mentally. Um, I personally think you should be 18 as a, as a minimum age for the Marines, but it is 15 years and seven months, I think it was. But it wasn't until I was 22 that I'd done a, had a bit of life experience. I'd been a bouncer in Belfast from the age of 18. So from 18 to 22, I was a bouncer, joined the Marines, luckily enough, passed out without any issues. Um, most of the time, people who don't pass out first time because of injury, I was just lucky. I got through first time and then that was me. So, yeah. So going going back a step, when you so when you're eighteen to twenty two and you're working as a bouncer, um, were you still thinking you're definitely going to be in the military, or were you not sure? No, at that point? I, I kind of, for the first time in my life, sort of forgotten about it. For some reason, I'd got the paperwork and going, I'm going to do this, and then I got, I just got together with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, uh, mother of all my kids. She uh, got together with her, and it wasn't so much as she didn't want me to or anything, because I hadn't even discussed it with her. It was just something that I'd kind of forgotten about. And then um, when I was 21, I had, a, I had an accident, and I had to get reconstructive surgery on my hand and everything. And I kind of realized then, I was like, hold on a minute, you're got me going anywhere. You know, you're 21 years of age. You've been a bouncer for three or four years. It's not a career. You're going to get into trouble with the police eventually, because that, that was the way it was going. And I went, I'll join the army. So joined the army and went into the careers office and the army were like, right, you do the, the, the mental barb test. And I got a past it, um, which allowed me to do any job I wanted. So the soul, because I'd just also done a close protection course. So I was like, right, okay, what can I do? What can I do close protection in the military? And they went, RMPs, the military police. Okay, I'll do that. Looking back at it now, I don't know what I was thinking, but yeah, I'll do that. So I went away, did the physicals over here to get in, and they said to me in the, in the careers office, I went, listen, like, you've smashed all our army physical tests here. You've broken all the records that have been standing for years in this selection centre. They're like, you know, are you sure this is the way you want to go? You want to go to the powers or anything? Again, I hadn't thought about it. and I was like, oh, I'll give it a, I don't know, think about it. But back in the careers office in Belfast, now it's over here, it's behind the wire. So it's on a military camp obviously because of the, the troubles and the, the security issues. So it had gone on and there was a Marine on the front desk and uh, he ended up talking to me and they just put an application for him for the Marines in. And then next thing you know, that was it. The Marines managed to get me through the process quicker than the Army did. And I was like, well, okay, I'll join the Marines in. And that was me, gone. <laughs> so yeah, it was just by sheer timing in the end. And, and once you're in, because that's a big achievement, right? It's tough tough to get into the role. Yeah. And once, what's the feeling like once you're in? It's very strange because the whole way, before you join up and the whole way through, you think you know, there's going to be some sort of like, when you get that day you're pass out, you know, you're going to be the proudest man on earth and it's going to be like, and it is, you're really proud and all, but you just want recruit training to be done. It's terrible, awful. And you just want to get recruit training done and then you start, so the whole way through recruit training, you've been the lowest of the low, you're a recruit. And then you're going off to your unit where you're going to be the lowest of the low because you're the brand new Marine. But, you know, you're apprehensive and excited and 
everything else you can think of. And at the time as well was when um, Iraq was still going on, Afghanistan was still going on, there was loads of things. So you were nearly 99% sure you were going to get the point somewhere within your first few years, which again was one of the reasons why I joined back up because I wanted to saw it on the news and I was like, right, you know what? I want to get involved in all this, which I think for people who joined around about my time, um, people forget that they joined knowing and wanting to go away and do ups. You know, there was no like, you might not have to go away. People went, I won't join up because I won't go and do that. So the lads that joined up at my age should be commended because they knew exactly what they were themselves into. Whereas nowadays you join up knowing that there's not an awful lot going on. So you're going to get a nice cushy number. All right, you're still joining the Marines. You know, it's still difficult, but you know, there's no doubt about it. But you're not going to go to Afghanistan. You know, there's not any sort of real combat theatres on at the minute. And there's training jobs and bits and bobs all over the place. But compared to the way it was then, there's nowhere near as much. Uh, so I joined up going, I want to do Afghanistan, I want to do Iraq, all these places. So yeah, again, you're, you're passing out knowing that within your first few years, you're going to have to put everything you've learned to the test and actually use it. Um, whereas there's lads now passing out may never get to use it in real life in a, in a proper combat situation as such. And what was the sort of time scale for you between deciding you want to do it, going and signing up and actually going out to... Really quick. It was really quick. So I ended up, let me think, again, my career has been a lot. My career has been fantastic. It genuinely is probably like very few other people's careers. With the jobs I've done, the places I've been, and I haven't got a bad word to say about it, but I passed out. It would have been early 2006 I passed out. Sorry. So by 2000 and by early 2007, I'd already gone away and done Iraq anti-piracy operations around Somalia. And then I came back and went to Afghanistan in the middle of 2008. So my first few years were spent away all the time. I, I, was, I was like... I was never home. It was brilliant. I loved it. You know, it's, it, it was exi- people don't understand that. And I, and I get like why people wouldn't understand that. But if you imagine being a teacher, going to university, trained to be a teacher, you know, you want to then go and teach, don't you? Well, the same goes for being the Marines or the, the Army. You know, you've learned all this stuff. You want to go away and actually use it. Otherwise, I question why somebody does it in the first place. You know, if you don't, if you want to learn all this but never use it, then you think to yourself, well, you know, I don't really, I don't understand that, but yeah, that's mate, what I think. Sorry, it, it makes perfect. It makes perfect sense. I was just thinking, as you said that, because as a non non military person, you're saying um you've had a fantastic career, and then yeah. your face lights up. And um, the next question in my head is, you know, what are the highlights of this fantastic career? But then you start talking about things. I mean, you mentioned a couple of things which you can go into detail about, but things that perhaps to other people sound scary as fuck. You know, like. I mean, the closest I've got to anti-piracy operation is that film with Tom Hanks, you know, the one, <laughs> which, was, which was very good from from my point as a film. I'm not sure how accurate it was. Maybe you could tell me. But, yeah, you do all these things, and I guess this is the thing. You're in the military doing things that a lot of people would find terrifying, but I guess you're having fun, right? It's it, And it's it doesn't – like, logically, when I explain these things to people – I can hear myself and I'm going, it's, it sounds ridiculous. What you know, the things I'm saying don't make sense. And I get why people look at you going, like, is there something wrong with you? Like, you know, because like when I my first time I went to Afghanistan was 2008, 2009, probably 
one of the worst, if not the worst, tours the Marines ever did. Uh, and certainly amongst the whole of the military, it was one of the hardest. Uh, we had a huge casualty rate. I was in Sangin, DC, which was just the heart of darkness. IEDs everywhere. And, you know, friends died, people got injured, and it was really difficult. But it was also one of the best things I've ever done because it was simple. You know, I was there with my friends. Every single one of those friends was there to look after me as much. Again, I was in a position of responsibility. So I was a section commander for 10, up to 10 people. So they were all my responsibility. Now, bearing in mind, I hadn't been passed out of the Marines that long myself, really. Um, but I was just, I don't know whether it was just luck or what it was, but I ended up um, being reasonably good at it. And I took these 10 dead fellas, you know, and brought them away with me. And they were mine. They were like my own little group. And you'll never have a bond like you did. Like, I'll, I'll never get a bond again like uh, I did with those those fellas. And, you know, it was just, you know, you know for a fact everyone was looking after each other. You know, it was just, and it, it's it's hard to explain. It, it is that sort of camaraderie thing that whenever I left the military, it's probably been the hardest thing to adjust to is not having that. You know, it's been... And I, one of the reasons why I joined the job men now in the police was because I thought that's the closest I'll get you know, to that. It doesn't even come close. You know, there's, it's not not even close at all. But yeah, I think for a lot of guys leaving spirit, well, I know for myself anyway, that's that's the hardest thing is, is leaving the lads behind and that life you had with the lads. You know, I love my family, I love my kids, love being here with my family and my kids. You know, I wouldn't change that for the world, but it just... I'll miss that probably till the day I die is having all those friends around you. Um, and especially in that sort of environment where it is difficult and it's a shared hardship, but that shared hardship brings us all closer together. And I do, I do think that's probably, that's probably what I would advise anybody leaving the military to be prepared for. You know, if you've been away in those types of theatres and you've experienced that level of friendship and you've been in those scenarios where you've all had people you know, injured or killed, when you come away from that, you do feel totally lost on your own. And that's, yeah, that, that would probably be the hardest thing that I've experienced so far. So you, you talk about feeling lost and alone when you leave the military or when, when you, you leave, yeah, proper, when you leave. When you leave. Because yeah. if you think about, you know, when you're on a camp, Monday to Friday, you know, you've got, you're working, but you're also living with these people. So you're literally spending every moment you're awake with the same groups of people. You know, that's for weeks and weeks and weeks at a time it's hard not to get those sort of friendships that are you know so close that when you do you feel like you're sort of stripped away from them and most of the time you, you'll go your separate ways you never hear from each other again or it's very rarely that people will keep in touch you know forever but yeah for me it was definitely the hardest part was was trying to i've tried to replace that and it just can't, you know, it's, and I've had to sort of accept that it won't be, I, I couldn't replace that, you know, I'll not be able to replace the feeling of adrenaline you get when you're, you know, in a contact or something's happened. You won't be able to replace those feelings of friendship and camaraderie that you had, you know, when you're right in those places. And that's definitely something I don't think is taken into account when you leave. I think it's very much, you know, the military go, well, we'll prepare you for leaving, you know, for getting jobs and CV writing and stuff. But it is almost, you know, you do a thing called decompression when you come back from Afghanistan where you went through Cyprus and you spent three days in Cyprus. You've had loads to drink, did a load of activities, and then that's the end. At the end of it, they go, right, that's you. You're all fit to go back to civilian life. And, and you're like, 
at the time all you want to do is come home, but it doesn't, you know, nothing nothing prepares you from making that transition from being in a war zone to a week later being at home. Now that's knowing that you're still gonna go back to your friends. Can you imagine doing that, leaving them out completely, and that's it? You know, you, those friends are gone now. You know, you're never gonna have that same sort of feeling and experiences that you had then. And you just after a while you do start to feel really lonely. Because it's hard to explain to people. Well, I think, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, but I think I think it it has to be hard to explain because it's hard to get your head round from the outside as well. Um, what I was going to ask was, as you were getting towards the time that you knew you were going to leave, mm-hmm. did you have any concept of just how difficult it was going to be? Because it must be a part of your sense when you're having these great adventures, which obviously the great highs and then the yeah. terrible lows of losing friends and stuff. Did you kind of? A, did you feel at the time that life's never going to be like this again? Or then when you're getting towards leaving, did you have some sense that this is probably going to be hard and I, what am I going to do about it? Or did it just hit you hard when you had left? I was in a strange place because I had come back. Uh, I had come back over here for a personal matter. That's when the lockdown happened. So I was in, effectively, I was here for nearly a year during the lockdown period. and then. I had another six months to do before I left the Melbourne completely. So I almost had a year and a half of being separated. But in your mind, you can sort of go, right, I know this is going to happen. And people will explain to you, you'll probably feel this way, et cetera, et cetera. I had no idea how bad it would be until probably a year maybe after I left. So it didn't hit me straight away. So that big long period, you you were far, you were fine, and then yeah, it was, I mean, I think it was it was probably gradually working on me, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't going on really miss being in the military. I really want to go back. You just kind of you feel like there's something missing. So yeah. you don't really know what it is, and then when you sit there and think about things and you talk to different people, like I have a few people, a few friends over here now who've left the military, um, and they feel exactly the same way as I do, but. Yeah, I don't think you, you can't fully prepare yourself for it. Maybe my experience is different. Well, it will be different to everybody else's. Maybe some people who, who are leaving the military are leaving because they're better about being in the military or they want to leave because they don't like the job and the people they're with. You know, their experience is going to be completely different to mine. I didn't leave because I didn't like the job or I had anything against the job because I loved it. It was because my family, was, I spent so much time away from my family that it was like, you know, I had to almost pick one. And I wasn't going to, you know, couldn't not pick my family. So I've moved back over here. Um, the relationship with my kids and all, so much better. Uh, I've had another baby and all since. In that sense, fantastic. But as far as work and career and things go, you're always comparing it to that last job. And it's it's hard not to, but it's something you can't do. You know, I have to make a real conscious effort. You know, I find myself going, this wouldn't happen to my old job. Or, you know, my friends and my old job wouldn't have done that or said that, you know, and you can't live like that. And you have to just accept that that's it, it's gone, it's finished. Um, and people have said about joining the reserves and things, but I think it's, for me, I had to just make a clean break. You know, I was in the Marines, I'm now gone, and that's it, it can't be any other way, I can't be half in, half out. And were you leaving, were you were you always going to join join the police right away, or did you take some time? And No, so... No, I, I basically joined the police while still in the Marines. And once the police came through and said, yeah, we've got a job offer for you, that's when I handed them a notice in. For me, there wasn't really, I even now thinking about it, I don't know what else I would do. You know, I don't, 
15 years in the Marines, you come away from it fantastic at being a Marine. But as far as civilian life goes, you don't learn a trade or anything as such. So, you know, I was coming away after 15 years with not an awful lot of extra paper qualifications to go, yes, you can do this. Being in the Marines has given me loads and loads and loads of tools that can use in any job, but nothing as a certificate or a bit of paper that says, you know, they're actually really good at this. So joining the police, I was like, well, it's probably one of the few jobs where my skills are transferable, especially over here because the police over here are all armed. Um, obviously, a terrorist threat is still here and there still is that sort of security issue that isn't really encountered as much over in uh, the rest of the UK. But for me, it was the only job really I could think of doing that I could go, well, actually, you know, there's opportunities within that that may be closer to the military than anything else could do. So that was kind of my thinking on the... And when you're, when you're a new recruit in the police then, Keith, mm-hmm. you are you treated differently from... Because someone could be like a kid with no experience <laughs> and you've come in with years of high-level yeah. military experience. Are you treated differently or...? The police over here is probably the most scrutinised police force in the world. So they are so careful about making everything even and fair. So you'll, I'll speak to people and they'll say, you know, you should be fast-tracked into this job or this role. And it would make sense to do that, but they can't be seen to make any sort of favourites or any alliances for anybody. So I was treated exactly the same as everyone else. Yeah, not really. No, I wouldn't say I was treated any differently. When I, when I passed out from being a recruit to an actual police station, there may have been more leeway given to me insofar as they're going... Well, you know, he's a bit older. He's got all this experience, so maybe he doesn't need to be babysat just quite as much. Or people will look at me and go, well, actually, do you know what? He's probably able to handle himself in this situation. Or in some cases, they're probably thinking, actually, I'd rather him than somebody who's done the police for five years because, you know, not necessarily... Being the police for five years doesn't necessarily mean you're tactically sound. Um, now, by, the Marines didn't prepare me to be in the police at all insofar as, like, the way the, the way I would, <laughs> how do I put this? The way the Marines is probably makes me worse at being in the police because everyone's very straight down the line in the Marines. You know, if somebody's doing something and it can be solved by telling them off in a certain way, that's what you do at the Marines. And the police can't, you know, you have to, things have to be dealt with a certain way. Winding back to when you were a kid, yeah. you mentioned being a bouncer. Yeah. Did, you, did you have, and you said you did a close protection course, was that before you joined the military? So what happened was I'd been a doorman for probably three years and then um, a guy I know had said about doing close protection work. And I thought, I'm not being in the military, like what do I know about close protection? It turns out that you don't really, you don't have to be in the military to do close protection work. Went away, did a course. Um, I think I finished second out of, 15 people on the course and a lot of those have been excellent the next place so whether they were just really bad in the police in the military I don't know <laughs> or maybe I was just lucky but I, I passed the course pretty well did a few small jobs but see as long as you're not in a job where you're carrying a weapon you don't you know you learn everything you need to know I think looking back on it now I would I wouldn't have bothered with a close protection course because it hasn't really paid in the long run but at the time I didn't I didn't know that money in Iraq um, and things were huge the thing where people were getting paid 500 pounds a day and all I saw was 500 pounds a day 
I'll, you know, I'll take that. Obviously, looking back at now, you need to have the military experience, the weapons experience and stuff. But the CP course I did, did a few jobs. Um, again, nothing major. And then uh, I think it was after, when I, I did a, a CP job in Paris and I came back from it and went, do you know what? The only way I'm going to be able to utilize this is if I actually go and do four years in the military. So the intention was do my four years, come out, go and earn huge amounts of money in Iraq or Afghanistan doing CP. So you were enjoying your time in the military so much that you wanted to stay? Once I was in for a year, I was like, I can't see me leaving this. You know, I just, I realized straight away, I was like, this is, this is where I want to be. Um, and I think I was, all, I always lent in the, the job in the military because it was like, I always want to do something different. I always want to retrain in something or do a different job. So I ended up doing jobs that people only ever hear about in films and stuff. And they're like, is, is that really a job? And you're like, yeah, it is, you know. And like what sort of things are you thinking when you say that? So um, I was a helicopter sniper for three years. And out of those three years, I was an instructor for two. Um, so again, you know, not many people can turn around and say they spent years hanging out of a helicopter firing sniper rifles. You know, again, doesn't really help me in the police. Doesn't help me as a job in Tesco's or anywhere else. So, although it was brilliant in the Marines, doesn't serve me outside of the Marines. Sorry to interrupt. Do you think, as well as you know, not having the things on paper, do you think it's partly there's a squeamishness of people outside the military because you know you start to around because I think people. They like the idea of having peacekeeping forces and things like this, but when it gets down to the nitty gritty of what you actually have to do in the military, and you can maybe see a bit of this in the blowback from what Prince Harry said about how many, you know, his body, his maybe ill-advised body count that he he shared with us. I think when people talk about what they actually do in the military, the people who don't like to talk about these things are a bit sort of like, oh, they don't don't tell us about the killing side, you know? Yeah. Well, what, well, again, this is why everybody is one of the reasons why I am like the most unpoliced person in the world, because a lot of people just think, you know, if you're in the Marines, you don't know how to stop killing. It's like you just walk down the street killing everything. And it's not like that at all. You know, it's you're probably better suited to control that anger aggression because you've done it for the last 15 years. But some people just seem to think that all you've done your whole life is just kill people everywhere you go. You can't control it. You're just some sort of maniac. And it's not the case. I remember having protesters outside Fazley and Naval Base. So we used to go out for a run. Uh, and you'd come in and you'd have these protesters that tended to be either young students or pensioners, you know, in their 60s. And mm-hmm. they'd have been shouting things like, you know, you're baby killers and stuff. No, I'm not. I'm not. But that's how they saw you some horrible baby murdering force that and you're like it's not it's is, not is this something that you saw that, that happened a lot to you you saw a lot yeah yeah it happened now, i don't i don't think it's happened for a lot of years but when i first went to Faslane, every day that have been protesters at the front gate and as you came in or out they were shouting at you or hurling abuse at you or let they were laying down the road stopping vehicles coming in and out and all and they would have said things like you know baby killers and you know, things like that and they're just like that's that's how they actually see you. It couldn't be further from the truth. I remember hearing about the protesters, and I suppose that I mean you, you'll know this, but I guess it's worth reminding yourselves that it's a, as you say, it's a particular group of people. You know, it's a, mm-hmm. I think it's a fairly narrow, very narrow section of people, and you know, there's groups of people that get worked up and angry about all kinds of different things. Uh, do you know what? 
I'm more than happy to let them protest. You know, they can have whatever views they want. It doesn't bother me at all. But it becomes a bit more than that when you start saying you know, things like these are all baby killers. You know, some of the some of the guys I just want them with for probably only seventeen or eighteen themselves have never been away anywhere, and you're thinking, you know. How do you know? If they, actually, if they actually say baby killer, I mean, I, that that line's used in um, First Blood, right? Yeah. That's what that's what you know. It's because that's what I think that's what um, Sylvester Stallone Rambo's had when he came back from from Vietnam. So they they're not even thinking of like original things to shout at you. <laughs> thinking like, oh, but, someone said the people in the military are baby killers. You are must baby be killers. Yeah, they're all yeah. baby killers. But I mean, luckily enough, nobody I was with or nobody I had the pleasure of working with ever took any offence at it. It just went, all right, whatever. You know, it's that's it's totally up to you. If that's what you want to think of us, then fair enough. But um, it definitely, like, it wasn't the case. That's not... I've, I've never experienced people who have such a bloodlust and thirst that they're going around murdering people. No, definitely not. Definitely not. I don't, I don't think that would be the... The common views on the military. I think it's just like you say, it's like a, a niche group of people who feel that way. But it, I think, know, that, it yeah, is I think there's, a, there's a niche. There's a niche group of people who think who that way will go and actually shout angrily at people. But then there is a quite a large section of people who I used the word squeamishness before, and I think it's like yeah, they sort of they know the military's there, but they don't really want to think too yes. hard about I the nasty. Let's, let's be let's be completely honest. I think in its worst case. That is the job of someone in the military. It's to close and kill the enemy, right? That is like worst case scenario. That is their their job, but it's not as common as people think it is. You know, it's not, especially now with the likes of Afghanistan and Iraq being over. You know, you'll maybe have years and years and years and groups of people coming through the Marines and the Army who never ever ever get into a gun battle anymore. Whereas, obviously, for a period of sort of ten plus years, you had most of the people coming through at some stage will have been in. In a contact, so kind of it goes in like sort of ebbs and you know it changes quite often. So you'll have this decade where it's really busy, maybe a decade where it's not. So some like my experiences are going to be different to somebody joining up now. And in ten years' time, they'll probably go then read anything for ten years. Whereas, like I said, the likes of the people who joined whenever I joined up will have gone. You know, I was away X amount of times and saw all these different things. So again, it's what we take away, what I take away from them, my time will be different to what someone else takes away in 10 years' time. You mentioned before, kind of breezing through your selection process. Were you like a star athlete growing up? or you... No, I mean, star athlete. Um, if you ask my mother, she'd tell you he was you know, the best athlete in the world. You know? Yeah, the, got the trophies out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was always pretty good at sport. I always played. I spent my whole life doing some sort of martial arts BJJ wasn't a thing whenever I was younger it wasn't around I'm sure yourself yeah, BJJ no. didn't really come here until properly until about what, 15 years ago if even that yeah 15 years ago there was some but it wasn't you had to look. yeah it wasn't massive you know it wasn't like now everybody does BJJ everyone yeah. does BJJ whenever I started started off I did it was judo and then it was like sort of Mugendo kickboxing and then Thai boxing and then MMA came in and then BJJ all came in so I spent my whole life doing that. I played rugby for Ulster and all your schoolboy sports and all throughout. But definitely not by any means a star athlete, no. It's just one of those... Again, I still maintain that I was just lucky enough to get injured you know, through training. A lot of people who were much better athletes than me 
didn't get through because they were they were injured, you know, and some of them were injured so badly that they weren't were never able to pass out. But I think the core is good at you'll get people who I talk about this today to people. You'll get somebody who's a fantastic athlete who has never been tried in his whole life. He's always been first. You know, every sport he's done, been top at. You get to the, the core or the army, they will break every single person. It doesn't matter how good you are, they will break you. Now, if you've never been broken or you've never come under such pressure that you're feeling like you have to just keep grinding away, those people come to the, the Marines, get broken, don't like feeling the way they do. They feel like, well, this is really unpleasant. I've, I've never experienced this hardship before. A lot of them then crumble. Whereas you get the lads who are average, are used to grinding away, and they'll just grind the whole way through training. They'll never be the best or the worst, but they're just grinding away day in, day out, and they make it out the other side. And that's all it is, is just having that mentality just to keep grinding away. And they sort of, they sort of, from what I hear, they want that as much as they want you know, star quality. They want you to be able to, what's it they say, cheerfulness in the face of adversity. Face of adversity. And that's, I mean, it is, it is very true. And it's also about how you are as a team, because you could be the best athlete in the world, get everywhere first. But once you get to where you need to be, if you're no good at doing your actual job, you may as well never have been there in the first place. You know, so yes, fitness is a, a huge thing in the Marines, but you have to be good at your job because otherwise, you know, what's the point of being in there? So a lot of the time you had lads who maybe weren't the best athletes, but they were actually good at being, you know, a soldier or a Marine. Um, and again, that gets them through because I would rather have somebody who takes a bit longer to get somewhere, but once they get there, they know how to do their job than somebody who gets there really quickly. But once he's there, no use to anybody. And it's, it's, you see it a lot when you go to likes of Afghanistan as well. Nobody knows how they're going to react in those situations until you're actually there. You know, everyone would like to think that act a certain way. Uh, before I got the likes of Afghanistan, no, I didn't know how I was going to react to them. Thankfully, I never had any issues. Well, how you sorry? How you how you going to react when it, it kicks off? Basically, you mean? yeah, yeah. Because I mean, most people in life have never been in that scenario until you get to somewhere like Afghanistan. You, you can always in your mind go, "This is exactly what I would do," but you don't know about it. You don't know exactly what you would do until you get there and do it. And I've seen you know, some lads who, in your mind, you're thinking, whenever it kicks off, he's going to be no good to anybody. And then when it kicks off, you're like, oh, he's he knows what he's up to. He's you know. And a lot of people who you think, you know, probably the hardest bloke in the world, it kicks off and you're surprised at how differently they react to it than how you expected them to react. So again, it's you then learn a person's true personality um, in those situations. And there's some people who maybe you didn't have an awful lot of faith in, but then you come back after six months, you're like, you know, I, would, I, that, I am totally safe in that person's hands. There's some people you think, you know, I can trust them a million percent. And then afterwards you're like, probably probably not as much as I thought yeah so you don't know how you're going to react to you out there I talked to a guy from the US Special Forces retired and he he talked about the first time he was on operations and they started coming under fire and he he admits to sort of freezing mm-hmm. but but he said it was probably a split second he said freezing didn't know what to do and he looked around and the guys who'd been more experienced with them and they were they were basically having a laugh by like making jokes and stuff and he was like Oh, fair enough. Yeah, you know this is this is the way to get through. And then he just realised you're still going to do your job, but you're not going to you're still not going to care because they're all just playing around, and they're not playing around because it's not serious. They're just it's just their way of. Yeah, I mean, 
it's I have a photo somewhere and it's a photograph of me uh, behind the wall and I'm doing the same I'm laughing and I remember when the photo was taken um, and we were in the middle of a contact and again that was probably over halfway through so you know you'd been in these situations and you had become not numb to them but you do get used to them and the sort of this, this is what's quite frightening you start to lose the not the adrenaline, but it becomes a bit more of a, you become a bit more blase to it. And you're like, oh, another one of these. And it's almost like the more you get into them, the more numb you become, you come to them. And there's a photo of like, me laughing. And then not long after that, I have to put my head above the wall and fire back. It's not natural or normal to have bullets coming at you and put your head up above the wall. You know, nobody wants to do that. It's not a natural thing. You're, everything in your body's telling you, Stay here. You're safe. You know what I mean? Nothing's coming through here, but you have to obviously win the firefight. Like I said, just before I put my head above the wall, I'm laughing. It's nothing funny about it, but yeah. it's just it's just how, you know, you do tend to deal with it in certain different ways. And I know the core, their the sense of humour, cheerfulness and the face of adversity is, is a massive deal. And again, you know, there's six, seven months in that first Afghan. Some things we went through were terrible, but again, it was, it was that cheerfulness and those friendships and bonds that get you through it. And I think that's what makes it so hard when you do leave is because you can never, you can never recreate that. Never. So if we if we could talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind. So when you, mm-hmm. when, when kind of it's hit you that, you know, you've, you've left this thing behind, yeah. was it sort of, a, do you have a sort of terrible realization one day or does the feeling creep in and what, how do you, how do you deal with it when those feelings come? For me, it crept in and I think, I didn't realise what the feeling was until a while later. And every once in a while, it's kind of like, it's not always there. Every once in a while, something will happen and I'll go and it'll come back to me and I'll think about it. I tried to deal with it in different ways. Um, I got involved with Reorg and helped raise some of the money during the Rollathon stuff for them. Um, again, at the time, I didn't realise it, but all I was trying to do was reconnect with the, those bootneck roots when I, when I sort of got involved with it I didn't realise that's why I was doing it um, but I think looking back at that was one of the reasons again thanks to the BJJ and stuff the, the gym I train at um, it was, it's a guy Mike Summers of Forge he um, he and the gym make you feel really welcome there's no I've been to other gyms where you've gone in and straight away you feel uneasy you're like don't know about this place that gym welcomes you straight away and it does become like a big family now it's not the gym itself, you know, isn't definitely nowhere near 100 people. You know, maybe you're only talking 50 people in the gym, 40 people in the gym, but everybody knows everybody else. And if you don't know them, you know, there's still group chats where everyone discusses things and chats about things and all. So, again, there's another another way that I'm trying to sort of fill that void. Um, the job I'm in now, you've got, you know, a, there's a certain group of people, probably eight, eight people who in that, in that, there's 28 people in the section and there's, there's eight a group of eight of us who I would be very close to and they were probably the closest thing to having friends in the core as you can get so again there's another way I'm trying to fill it so I think you'll, you'll, you'll spend maybe your whole life I don't know trying to find things that'll fill that void and that gap so far for me nothing nothing has filled it um, maybe it's just one of those things that eventually you grow comfortable with and realise that you know that's you won't fill it so you just try and make do what you've got um, obviously my family you know was a huge deal for me uh, that was the main reason why I left and you know the family being here is, is a massive deal you know 
worst case scenario is I've always got them no matter what, you know. So that fills a huge gap in that, you know, the friendships that are lost out on. So yeah, there is there is ways of filling it. Um, but I think everyone's different. You know, sometimes I'd rather just be on my own, which doesn't make sense. You know, if I'm saying about you know, you have all these friendships that you're missing all so much, but then sometimes you're just like, I just want to be on my own. So yeah, it's it's difficult. I don't I don't know, I don't have a definitive answer as to how you would fill that. I don't have no idea. I'm still trying to find different ways, but did did you ever did you always stay in shape? Did you always train? Right up, right up until the last eighteen months, I would train at least once, if not twice a day, religiously. If I missed the day, it was like the words come to an end. You know, you'd look yourself in the mirror and you're like, you put on four stone of fat in a day, and all. You know, it's completely ridiculous. The last eighteen months, you know, things have gone, especially with the the injury I picked up uh, six weeks ago. Uh, well, not six weeks ago, say four weeks ago in the rollathon. Um, mm. Since then, I've done no training at all. Um, my training in the last 18 months is nowhere near what it used to be so again there's a, a whole lot of things that I'm now looking at going you know I need to get myself back on top of that maybe a lot to do with um, having structure I'm, I'm terrible for needing structure in the Marines you've got structure even on a day where anything can happen there's still a certain amount of structure to it I've let my structure go out the window especially because of shift work and different new work patterns so I need to try and find sort of a, some sort of structure that I can build around that to get me back into training. But again, with the BJJ and stuff, I can't do anything like that really until February till I finished, well, getting over my injury. So until then, I'm sort of, sort of stuck. But that's that's something that I've, I've let go as well. But that's all me. You know, there's no excuses. That's yeah, 100% it's, my fault. So I'm to it's not on you, but you're completely right that I think for most people, yeah, yeah you're right, structure is very important. And I think whatever your work or or home life allows getting the regular training in is hugely important i know for me if i don't if i don't train i i quickly see yeah things go downhill yeah. so so then for me it's just a decision of of deciding whatever else i'm going to get the training in even if i've got to get up while everyone else is in bed to do it yeah. i'm going to train and you just and you just you, you see you just see the difference the problem is obviously if you choose something like jiu jitsu as we have you're gonna crack the odd rib occasionally, <laughs> and then and then you've got to then you've got to have something to do while you're yeah. while you're broken. That's the thing. I I I, I balance jujitsu with yoga because I got to the point of you know injuries building up, and so it's either one, either one yeah. or the other. Um, but obviously you need a you need a degree of mobility to be able to do that. But but yeah, I think I think. You know, you. I think you're. You're right. You probably never are going to get what you had in the military. But it's a yeah. question of, of having enough of a structure and enough of a balance to to keep yourself sane. I suppose. I think as soon. I think as soon as you start making those comparisons and thinking, you know, what what is possible now? I mean, you don't really. You don't really know. I mean, I didn't. I'd done martial arts growing up, but I didn't start um, jujitsu properly till I was forty one. I think it was. I'm 49 now and I'm in much better shape at nearly 50 than I was at 40 because I mean, yeah, I was a bit younger then. So obviously there'll be more, there's more wear and tear and you, certain things become more difficult, but you know, I would, I would hate to go back 10 years and to not have the skills I've learned in my forties. I think as well for likes of the police and things, um, BJJ is very good because you know, a lot of the time if you're, in sort of a situation where you're having to get hold of somebody and restrain them, 
I think BJJ, BJJ and judo are probably the two best sports in that sense because in judo, they are lesser than BJJ, but the judo will help you bring somebody from a stand-up position to the floor. And then the BJJ will obviously help you get them under control. So I think the police um, should definitely look at introducing a form of BJJ or its own sort of type of BJJ in, into the police. I think it would be really handy. And obviously you can't, you can't choke people and things, but there's, you know, every, bar choking people. You know, there's a million other ways you can use BJJ to help in the policing environment. When you're out in the police, how often does it get pushy-shovey in? Um, do you know what? The place, I, the area I work in, has no rhyme or reason to it. So if a Monday morning at 7 o'clock could be like a Saturday night kicking out time and anywhere else in the country. You know, it's, it, it's you know, it's, it literally is 24 days, 7 days a week. So you could go three or four shifts with nothing and then for the next three shifts in a row or something happens or the next three calls, something like that, you, ju- you just don't know. And I think... Depending on who you're working with, can dictate how a situation changes. You know, if you are with somebody who is timid or is a bit quieter, a lot of people will take that as a weakness, and straight away they're thinking that they can sort of they can up the ante on the situation, do a point, and win. Uh, whereas if you're with two or three people who are maybe uh, more intimidating or carry themselves in a different way the same person could come you know they could look at the police in a totally different way and go do you know what actually there's no way I'm going to come out better in this situation so they'll come quietly you know I think it just depends um, for me it's not very often so far touch wood I, I've been in very very few and none that have caused me an issue yet but I know a lot of people who have been you had parts of their ear bitten off, back of their neck bitten, an old girl was hair-butted. Um, but they, they, like, for instance, the girl that was hair-butted, she was hair-butted by a person who apparently you know, would, would tend to resist police quite a bit. Um, and another dealings with him, he's, he's been quiet because he's maybe been with a group of male police officers. So you just don't know. You know, you really couldn't, you really couldn't sort of guess or, you know, in the next four shifts it'll happen to me twice. You just, you just don't know. I don't know at all. Right? I guess you're there and you can handle yourself, but you might be with people who aren't that well trained. You, mm-hmm. Some of your, I mean, I think, I think the, the the idea of defending yourself within the police, um, it's it's taught at a very very low level because obviously it has to be, um, and I think it almost teaches people to be over cautious, um, because if you think that people say to you, you know, as a police officer, can you punch someone in the face? Well, yes. I can do anything up to shooting somebody as long as it can be justified. Ideally, obviously, you want to come out of every shift having no issues at all. Um, but you're taught to use your different methods of, you know, powder spray and buttons and whatever else you have at your disposal. But if you can be taught how to subdue the situation verbally, uh, posturing, and then physically without ever having to take um, a baton out or a powder spray out, is that not better than? You know, having them potentially hurt somebody a bit more seriously, I think so. But it's you know how much time and effort would it take to teach people who've never done anything like that before in their lives to be proficient enough to carry something out? You know, that and that's the other issue. Help for the military out when you leave in the UK is probably not that bad. In Northern Ireland, there's very few organisations that are 
known about, or I, I couldn't give you the names of any that would help people. So I thought, right, if I am currently you know, in the role I'm in at the minute, I come across other members of the police, fire service, paramedics, and what have you. So if somebody was in need of help, you know, I could potentially come across those people and help them. BJJ can be used in, in instead of traditional methods of, you know, dosing people up with tablets or you know, whatever else methods are used. I think giving them the opportunity to try BJJ either instead of or as well as those methods is fantastic because it does offer so much. Yeah, that was that was the whole point of me getting involved with, with the reorg BJJ sort of thing was I could get something from it personally, but also I can help others. Well, that's the fantastic thing about it because I've spoken to loads of people who've been really helped by it. But every single one of those, when they've been helped by it, the next thing they're doing is seeing who else they yeah. can help because they've seen what it does for them. And by the way, sometimes like immediately, you know, as in you, you, you walk into a class, you go out and I felt like there's not, you know, you go and you come out a completely different person. And a lot of people I've spoken to, it's literally sort of one day they train one day and they go, right. It doesn't mean my, all my problems are magically over, but I know I've taken a, a mentally and physically important step towards fixing whatever it is that's going on. And you sort of see that chink of light and you think, all I've got to do is keep showing up. And, I'll, it, and it, they want to tell other people about it. You've got a support system there in place. And I can only, I can only speak on behalf of you know, Forge Gym where I train. Because I know that gym, I know that if you do come into the gym, you're immediately sort of welcomed. You're part of the family and you do have a support system there. You know, if you've come from the military or somewhere um, and you've got that piece of your life missing, like I've been talking about for the last hour or whatever, that can go somewhere to replacing it. You know, if all of a sudden you've gone from having a group of like-minded people who you spend a lot of time with in your life stripped away from you, then go into a BJJ gym or any other gym and you've got like-minded people that you're maybe not spending as much time with but you're still spending an hour a day with all of a sudden it's not quite as bad as it was before you did that and it's because it, it, it's helped me massively I mean me personally I spent 15 years of a support network around me but I never having to ask for it or think about it it was just always there and then it's gone so you do you feel lost and lonely and then when you think there because it used to be you would come in and go say to the lads and work, oh, I've got this issue. And although they would probably rip the piss out of you and you would never get a straight answer from anybody, you know, but at least eventually you would get to the root of the problem and you would talk about it and do whatever. It's the same in going into the gym. You could go into the gym, but once you've made enough connections, you can say to people, you know, this is the issue you've got. And all of a sudden you're talking about it. You're absolutely spot on, mate. Well, listen, we better wrap it up, but, it's been fantastic to talk to you. Yes, appreciate the couple there bringing me on. I mean, I really do. We could we could talk about it for hours, and you know, there's various stuff we've only just touched on. But I mean, it's it's good to hear that you're you're pushing pushing the message out that it yeah it doesn't. And the, your final point, it doesn't have to be jujitsu. It can be any, it can be anything anything that kind of you know keep keeps you keeps your body working, keeps your takes your mind away from the silly things it might be worrying about. Is 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 going to make a difference for people, you know. And it's great. Well, hopefully, that hopefully the, the, the message does get pushed out. And like I said, I've I've got my um, social media pages that I'm using as a way to try and 
push out the message, promote questions, discussions, you know, of things, and maybe not even, it may not even have me directly involved. Someone else can ask a question or put up a discussion on the social media page. And it can be end up being a conversation between different people, whatever, you know, as long as the questions are answered or um, if people are not wanting to, you know, if they don't want to ask them directly, they can speak to me or somebody else or they can just follow my progress. And hopefully that's enough to show them that, you know, if I can do it, anybody can do it really, let's be honest. But yeah, hopefully like, again with a reorg and anywhere we can push the message out about mental health and not having to do it on your own. And there's not just tablets and traditional ways of doing things there's other ways of doing it but yeah hopefully it gets out there but yeah no appreciate you bringing me on have the, the discussion and letting me rabble on for the last hour and a half perfect no, it's great to talk to you mate you're, you're, speak, you're speaking to the choir here the singing to the choir <laughs> the expression is okay mate that's that's fantastic Keith Hughes thank you very much thank you very much cheers for your time mate